Psalm 150. Praise the Lord. Praise God in his sanctuary. Praise him in his mighty expanse. Praise him for his mighty deeds. Praise him according to his excellent greatness. Praise him with trumpet sound. Praise him with harp and lyre. Praise him with timbrel and dancing. Praise him with stringed instruments and pipe. Praise him with loud cymbals. Praise him with resounding cymbals. Let everything that has a breath praise the Lord. Praise the Lord.
as we read from Psalm 150, as we realize that all of creation is here to praise you. We had rain this morning, some people had a little snow, now we got sunshine and we thank you for it all. And so again, Lord, whatever you know, difficulty or whatever situation we find ourselves in this morning, we're here to praise you. And so may we just it, it really, truly forget about ourselves and just focus on you and say, Lord, just help with whatever it is. So we just pray your blessing upon us as we worship you this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Say hello to somebody and then we will...
Father, it certainly is uh, what it's where I mean it's where our burdens go. It's the only place our burdens go. If it's not at the cross, we still bear our burdens, and nobody likes to bear their burdens. So, Father, we're just so thankful for what Jesus did for us, and really. You know, the more we sing about it and the more we read about it and the more we think about it, you know, it, it, it begins to sink in, but it's such a massive thought how Jesus went to the cross and died for me. He died for you, and he died for really millions of people. But it was so personal. It was like we were the only ones that existed. So we thank you for that blessed reality. And we pray that as we live our life, as we go through our day, as we go through our week and our, and our uh, month and our year, Lord, just help us to deal with whatever comes our way, with uh, whatever our role in life is that you have given us. We pray that we will be more than conquerors because of what you did for us on Calvary. You, you took away our biggest burden, which was our sin which we, couldn't, we, we could do nothing about it, but you did. And so we thank you for that. And again, we pray that whatever is on our heart, whatever concern we have, Lord, just help us this morning, we pray. And just spend a few quiet moments again as we got to this point. Quiet your heart and quiet your mind and, and think about Psalm 150. Think about how we are to praise the Lord. I mean, we are to, you know, what I like about Psalm 150 is it's a loud song. It, we, are, we are to be giving God everything we've got because of all that he's done for us. We thank you that mercy and grace found us in Jesus Christ. And justice can ask no more of us because Jesus has paid that price. And we thank you that it was all at the that he would die for such a worm as me. And uh, wow, so we thank you. So just spend a few quiet moments in prayer with your Lord. Yes, Father, we, uh, as the old time hymn, hymn says, we are coming and laid our burdens down. Help us lay our burdens down at your foot of your cross. Um, we thank you for that. We thank you for there is a story that we can hear. There is a story that has been told about how we are not victims, but in Christ we are victors. Because we are victors in Jesus. So may this spot just prepare us to hear from your word for partake of the communion service. And, and Lord, may this uh, May this really quiet and excite our hearts, we pray in Jesus' name. And shall we stand? Here's a, here's a good old fashioned.
Father, that is exactly what you did. And as we move our way now to the communion service, may we never forget that. We pray to that end, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. Take your Bibles and let's go to Philippians chapter 3. We're going to talk about forgetfulness. I mean, let's face it. How many of you struggle with forgetting things? Yeah. Yeah. Talking to the choir. I got it. Yes, indeed. We all forget things. And uh, do you realize as you go through life, uh, forgetfulness can both be a blessing and a curse. For example, it can be a blessing if you uh, forget that parking ticket you got instead of dwelling on it. Don't forget how you got it or why you got it, but it's good to forget that. It's a blessing to forget past mistakes. Uh, learn from them, move on, don't dwell on them. So there's a lot of blessings in having a short memory. In fact, God made us such, right, that we do tend to forget pain. And, uh, you know, if you've ever seen a mother give birth, it's, it's not really a pleasant experience for an observer. I guess it's not that pleasant for the mother giving birth either. But uh, you'll notice that soon as it's over, and they give the mother that baby. It's like, I forgot all the pain, because I know Sharon is shaking it. Well, it, it's, it's at least a little bit better, because I've got this baby. So uh, there are some things that are good to forget. And uh, the Apostle Paul gives us that in Philippians chapter 3. In fact, if we do not learn to deal with some of our past and move on, we're going to be really in big trouble. It's, 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 going to, uh, it's going to hamper us. It's going to be like carrying around a lead weight we don't have to carry around. Because if we are believers, Jesus has already paid for that. He's already forgiven us. And, and as we stand before God and, and, and uh, as, as he looks at us, we stand forgiven and righteous. But we all have a past, and the Apostle Paul had a past. In Philippians 3, he's talking about his past. And he begins by saying, we want to be careful that we don't put confidence in the flesh in verse 4. Because uh, it's going to take us down a road that ends not in a pretty picture. And, and he knows that, he knows that very well. And in fact, that's what he's going to tell us. He says, look, at I know. Verse 4, although I myself may have confidence even in the flesh, if anyone has a mind to put confidence in the flesh, I far more. You say, well, why, Paul? Are you just an egomaniac? Or, or what is this? Why did you have such confidence in the flesh? Circumcised the eighth day, verse 5, of the nation of Israel. I'm a Jew. Kept the law. They circumcised me the eighth day, just like the law said. I'm in the tribe of Benjamin. I'm in Hebrew of Hebrews. As to the law of Pharisee, I'm one of the religious leaders. I'm one of the, I'm one of the, the, uh, you know, the brains, the scholars of the Jewish religion. And as to zeal, I, I wasn't a sinner on the sideline. No, I was a persecutor of the church. To the right, and as to righteousness, which is in the law, as they defined it, found blameless. The one thing that Paul really never got over in the sense is that he did persecute the church. 
in Acts chapter 26, as he is giving his testimony to King Agrippa. And a testimony is good because uh, you're telling somebody what God has done for you. And he's telling King Agrippa of his story. So he starts, here's what I was. Verse 9, he says, I thought of myself that I had to do many things hostile to the name of Jesus of Nazareth. And this is just what I did. In Jerusalem, not only did I lock up many of the saints in prisons, having received authority from the chief priests, and also when they were being put to death, I cast my vote against them. Paul said, you know, I was, I was very zealous for the Hebrew religion. And so we thought Jesus was a blasphemer. That is why we wanted him crucified. And now, and once he was crucified, then we went after his followers because we believed they were following a blasphemer, a false god. So we were trying to do God a favor by doing all that. It says, so I locked them up in the prison. I cast them to death. Remember the people when Stephen was stoned, they cast their, their they, they put their clothes, their, 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 their robes so they could throw Stones better at the feet of Saul. So he says, I cast my vote against them. Verse 11, I punished them often in all the synagogues. I tried to force them to blaspheme. I mean, some of you that have been in court or watched court or read about court, you know that a good prosecutor, a good defense attorney can really run circles around a witness. I mean, and, and, some, and sometimes it's kind of disgusting because they, I, I, you know, you figure out they have a whole purpose in all of that. And they're trying to get you to say what they want you to say. And they will twist the truth and they will get in there and do that. And, and if they're good, it, it's, it's somewhat impressing, but it can be very uh, disastrous. And he says, that's what I did. I often force people to blaspheme. Paul evidently was very good at that. And being furiously enraged at them, I kept persecuting, pursuing them, even the foreign cities. So when they, instead of fight or flight, when they, instead of fighting, flighted, I followed. Even though flight is not a word. When they fled, I followed. And I pursued them. And, and this stuck with Paul. Because on the road to Damascus, to do that very thing, he was confronted by Jesus Christ. And uh, the voice from heaven. So if you, you know, one of the things I've never heard is a voice from heaven. Uh, I don't know how I would handle a voice from heaven, but he heard a voice from heaven. Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Can you imagine? Here is the apostle, here, here is Saul, the Hebrew of Hebrews, uh, thinking he's doing God a favor by getting rid of these Christians because Jesus was a heretic. Jesus was a blasphemer, just another guy. I don't know what he was thinking about the resurrection because Jesus rose from the dead. It was, it was obvious. But the voice comes and says, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And Saul says, well, who are you? Answer, I'm Jesus, whom you are persecuting. At that moment, Saul's life turned upside down and around. Because all of a sudden he realized God showed him Jesus was not a blasphemer. Jesus was exactly who he said he was, the Son of God, God himself. 
And you as a Pharisee, you as a Jew, you killed your Messiah. So Paul is confronted and, 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 and Paul is, is, is shaken and uh, he's converted. And he turns completely around. So now he's propagating what he was trying to destroy. And in fact, early on in Acts, you will read that uh, when he would go to try to, 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 to a fellowship, hang out with the Christians, they were very weary because they said, who is this guy? Is this a trick? Because this is the same guy who was trying to put us in prison and was killing us, and now he says he's a believer too? So it took a while, but they eventually got there. All of that to say this, 1 Timothy chapter 1, it, it just stuck with Paul. So much so that in chapter 1 of 1 Timothy, verse 12, he says, I thank Jesus Christ our Lord who has strengthened me because he considered me faithful, putting me into service, even though, and here's the key words, I was formerly, I was formerly a blasphemer. I'm not anymore, but I was formerly a blasphemer, a persecutor, and a violent aggressor, yet I was shown mercy because I acted ignorantly in mm -hmm. unbelief. God saved me from that. But that's where I was. As he wrote to the Corinthians in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, he lays things really on the line. He says, verse 9, Do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived, neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor effeminate, nor homosexuals, nor thieves, nor covetousness, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers, and it's just a sample listing, or people that live in sin will not inherit the kingdom of God. But verse 11, that's the bad news. Verse 11, such were some of you. Such were some of you. But you were washed. You were sanctified, set apart. You were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ uh, and in the spirit of our God. You, you, are, you are now declared righteous. God has taken that and thrown it into the deepest sea. God has taken your sin and separated it from you as far as the east is from the west. And that's infinite, so it, it never met. It never meets. And so as we come and confess our sin to the Lord Jesus... 1 John 1, 9 says, he, if we are the ones confessing our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Jesus has forgiven us. Oh, I was once a drunkard, but no longer. Jesus has forgiven me. Whatever, whatever moral uh, debt I owed to God for my disobedience, or, or maybe I was a murderer or an immoral person or whatever it was, Jesus took all of that on the cross, and now I'm declared righteous. And so Paul says, well, how do you deal with that? Well, you notice that Paul, you know, did develop amnesia. It was always there. And you can't, you, you know, you can't get away from your past because that's who you were. The key words are, it's who I was. And so Paul says, now back in Philippians 3, he says, that, you know, I, that's who I was. But when Jesus got a hold of me, he changed my life. Here it comes. Here's what we need to forget. Verse 13. He talks about perfection. He talks about 
being perfect in Christ. And then he says, brethren, I want you to know, I do not regard myself of having laid hold of it yet. I haven't arrived. As great as Paul was, as spiritually mature as he was, he says, I'm not done yet. Jesus is being formed in me day by day, moment by moment, more, 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 more. I'm not who I should be because I'm not perfect yet. I won't be till I get to heaven, but I'm certainly not what I was. I'm in transition. So what do I do with all this stuff in the back? Yet one thing I do, forgetting, this is what is good to forget. Forgetting what lies behind in reaching forward to what lies ahead. I press on toward the goal of the prize of the upward call in Christ Jesus. What God is telling us is, yeah, you, we were all worms. Some of us were nastier worms than others, but we were all evil people. But when Jesus died for us and we placed our faith in him, God now declares us righteous. He gives us the righteousness of Jesus Christ. And what he is saying, okay, look at you. Who you were is who you were, but it's who you were. So let's get over it and let's move on. Let's forget what lies behind and it, let's reach forward to what lies ahead. Let's press on to the goal of the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. And when you're saying, and I, I've been there and think, oh, how could, I don't know, I don't know how I can get over that. I mean, how do I forgive myself for being such a rat? Well, to some degree, you don't have to. You know why? Because God already has. First John 1 9, if we are confessing our sins, he is faithful and righteous to forgive us and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And I think if you get into that, that it really kind of is a trap to where, you know, oh, I just can't do it, I can't do it, you know, and here it says move on. You know, what the bottom line is, look, at, do you trust God or not? Do you believe Jesus forgave you? And do you think it's more important for Jesus to forgive you than for you to forgive yourself? So let's move on. You know, uh, you could say a lot more about that, but just remember, this is one thing we are to forget. Forgetting what lies behind and reaching forward what lies ahead. Otherwise, we could get stuck. And God doesn't want us to get stuck. Mm -hmm. Satan doesn't mind us being stuck. Because if we're stuck, we're not moving forward. But he says here, let's go pressing on. Pressing on believing what God has done for us. So, so in this sense, th this is a good thing to forget. We are to forget some things. But there's a whole lot of other things God does not want us to forget. And one of those is the communion service. But before we get there, let's go to do, back to Deuteronomy chapter 8. Deuteronomy chapter 8. As you and as we study the book of Deuteronomy, and I hope you're enjoying it half as much as I am. It's, it's been very helpful to me. And the more I go over it, my goodness, the more this is just a Christian life. Yes, we're, we're not Jews and, we're, and we don't have that kind of covenant about a land and all of that. But this is showing us who God is and how he wants his people to relate to him and how he relates to his people. You remember, we've been looking at chapter 14, where if you are the sons of the Lord your God, you shall not cut yourselves, shave your forehead, 
for the sake of the dead. So you are to act a certain way as God's children. Verse 2, for you are a holy people to the Lord your God. And the Lord has chosen you to be a people for his own possession out of all the peoples who are on the face of the earth. And that applies to us as well. We were chosen, Ephesians 1, 3, and 4, before the foundations of the world to be before God holy and blameless. It is for us that Jesus came and died. It is, it is for us that Jesus came and sent the Holy Spirit to convict us of our sin when we heard the gospel. And we said, oh my goodness, God is speaking to me, that's me. And then gives us the faith to exercise and then transforms us and forgives us. And says, now look it, that's what you were, but let's move on. You are now my son. And I don't, I don't want you wallowing in the mud. I don't want you wallowing in the mud. I remember years ago, I used this illustration. It's like we've been adopted. Okay, it's, It says that, Romans 8, Ephesians uh you know, we've been adopted by God. So suppose that uh, you have lived a vile life. You're living on the streets. You know, I've been to Skid Row to speak and to visit, not to live there. But I've seen some of these guys, and, and it's, it's heartbreaking, really. But since suppose that you've been on Skid Row, you, you once were something, and you blew it, and so you lost everything. You lost your job. You lost your family. You're losing your health because you're drinking all day long, and you're, you're dirty. You haven't had a bath in who knows when. You haven't changed your clothes in who knows when, and you're just a stinking mess, right? And, and so you're, you're hanging out in your alley, and, uh, and this red Ferrari comes mm -hmm. driving down the road. And the guy looks at he, he's you know, he's just driving, and he, he stops. And he looks at you, and he says, get in. And you would say, you look around, who are you talking to? Me? Yeah, you. Get in. Why? I want you. I want you. Get in. I, I, in fact, I'm going to adopt you as my son. And you say, really? What do I got to lose, right? I'm moving on the street. I got no hope of future. This guy is obviously rich. And he says, get in. So he gets in. Good thing the top is down because you smell. So you're <coughs> driving down. And he says, well, we got to clean you up. That's what God does, does he not? First thing he's got to go, you got to get rid of those clothes. You say, well, I like these clothes. I've been living in these clothes for years. He says, I know, but that's the old you. So he, he uh, since he's rich and he has everything, he's got his own desire. designers. They take a look at you. Maybe you bathe first, and then they take a look at you, measure you up. And he says, here's your new wardrobe. You know, let's go. And... Uh, and then it's a process because you've got all these bad habits. And you don't have to beg for food anymore. You're living in the king's house. You don't have to think that way. You don't have to be paranoid anymore. He's going to protect you. So that's a process of learning to be who you are. But what he's saying is you, I want you to forget that. And you just focus on me now, because now you're going to be my son, and I've got this great, I've got this great job for you to do. We're getting back on track, and let's go. I want you to forget all that, but there are some things I don't want you to forget, and I think that's where we find Moses with the children of Israel in Deuteronomy, because you you will notice over and over and over he basically says the same. You are sons of God. God's your father. Just obey him. That's all. Just do what he says. 
How often have we noted, here are my commandments? But as we move to the communion service, and, and trust me, we are, I, I want us to look at Deuteronomy 8, verses 11 through 20, and give you four things that God does not want us to forget. Forgetting what lies behind, we're pressing on to the upward call of Christ Jesus. So forget that. Look at I've forgiven it. Why do you keep thinking about that? I know you can't get over it. I have. Let's go. But here are some things I don't want you to forget, ever. He says, when you come into the land, verse 10, and when you eat and are satisfied, you shall bless the Lord your God for the good land which he has given you. Beware. So now, okay, you're driving around in your dad's Ferrari. You got your, your no clothes, your shades, your things, and he's just saying, "Okay, son, I just you know you're, you're adopted, and, and uh, all of my children are adopted, and so because uh, God only has one son, Jesus, but we're all adopted, and you got to live a certain way. So what I want you to do, beware that you do not forget. Here's the first thing we are not to forget." The first thing God does not want us to forget is God. Do not forget me, he is saying. Beware lest you forget the Lord your God. You say, how in the world could they forget God? Well, they did. How, how in the world can I ever forget God and all that he's done for me? You do, right? You get busy. Things come to, and especially it's, you know, when we are really hurting, we're really tuned into God because we're praying all the time, oh, God, heal me, oh, God, help. But when things are really going along well, we can kind of say, oh, you know what? You know what? And that's, that's what's happening here. Skip ahead. So he says, verse 12, otherwise, when you have eaten and are satisfied and have built good houses and live in them, and when your herds and your flocks multiply and your silver and your gold multiply and all that you have multiplies, then your heart will become proud and you will forget the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. Verse 17, otherwise you may say in your heart, my power and strength in my hand made me this way. It happens. It happens. So we don't want to forget God. How do I not forget God? Number two, by keeping his commandments. We don't want to forget God. Verse 11, back to verse 11. He says, you're going to forget to, do not forget the Lord your God by not keeping his commandments and his ordinances and his statutes as I'm commanding you today. When we do not obey God, basically we have forgotten him. When we do not obey God, basically we're saying, God, I'm living now as if you don't exist. Because I'm not doing what you said. I, I am now on my own, or I'm listening to the crowd or the world or whatever. So he says, you do not want to forget God by not obeying, keeping his commandments. Which... Now you begin to understand why he's repeated this so many times in the first 14 chapters. Because he knows that they're forgetful. I mean, how, how do you think in Psalm 1, David, in really uh, Psalm 1 and Psalm 50 are the bookends to the Psalms. 
and in the middle is, is, is the whole plot. But Psalm 1 starts out by saying, How blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked, nor stand in the path of sinners, nor sit in the seat of scoffers. I mean, how does he do that? When, when his friends are doing that, and everybody's doing that, and everybody's talking about that. And, and it's, if you want to be in, that's what you got to do. But how does he stand alone? Because it's in his, because his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law he meditates day and night. You see, you can't get away from that. You know, the people that struggle as believers, first question I ask is, what's fresh? When's the last time you read the word? And when's the last time God connected with you in his word? Because when you get away from the Bible, that's what happens. You're going to forget God. The more we're in this, the more we're remembering his commandments, the more we show up when we can for a Bible study or certainly on Sunday at church and other times, the more we can get, the better. So that we don't forget God and we don't forget his commandments. Then God says, I don't want you to forget what I've done. What I've done. Don't forget me. Don't forget my commandments. Don't forget my doings. Remember, remember verse 15, back to Deuteronomy 8. Remember how he's talking about how God led you. Well, verse 14, then your heart will become proud and you will forget. So now your pride, now you've become God. You will forget your God who did what? Who brought you out from the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. You didn't do that. Wasn't a great political campaign. Wasn't your ingenuity. It wasn't, it had nothing to do with you. God did all of that. He led you, verse 15, through the great and terrible wilderness with its fiery serpents and scorpions and thirsty ground where there was no water. He brought water for you out of the rock of Flint. And in the wilderness, he fed you manna when you had nothing to eat, which your fathers did not know. This was brand new. That he might humble you. And that he might test you to do good for you in the end. In, in, earlier in chapter 8, he says, verse 3, he humbled you by letting you be hungry and fed you with manna, which you did not know, nor did your fathers know, that he might make you understand that man does not live by bread alone, but man lives by everything that proceeds out of the mouth of the Lord. He says, I want you to know that you, life is all about trusting me for everything. Yes, you do your part, whatever I've called you to do, but at the end of the day, you realize you are, you are remembering me. For example, verse 18, you've got to remember that it is the Lord your God, who is, it is he who is giving you power to make wealth, that he may confirm his covenant which he swore to your fathers as it is to this day. So even what God has given you to do that you prosper, he's given you the power, the ability, the, the gifts and the talents and the experience and the opportunities to do that. So you're always remembering who he is, what he has commanded, and what he has done. So you get discouraged, you get the depression because something has hit you that you don't like, you don't understand. 
Don't forget what God has done. Remember Psalm 143? David says, Oh, hear my prayer, O Lord, and give prayer to my supplication. Answer me in your faithfulness and in your righteousness. He says, Do not enter into judgment with your servant, for in your sight no man living is righteous. You, you talk about a man with a past? Stay. For the enemy has persecuted my soul. He has crushed my life to the ground. He has made me dwell in dark places like those who have long been dead. Therefore, my spirit is overwhelmed within me. My heart is appalled within me. So what do I do? I stay in bed, put the covers over my head, tell, take, disconnect the phone. I, I'm just not going to move. That's it. I'm done. No. David says, I remember the days of old. And I meditate on all your doings. And I muse on the work of your hand. I remember how you helped me kill Goliath. That was an impossibility. And you got to wonder, I got to be thinking, what was I thinking? Well, God was moving him, and he, he remembers, oh, remember how you did that. Remember how you spared me from Saul over and over and over. And I remember as I sinned and as I confessed my sin, Psalm 51, you forgave me. And you restored the joy of my salvation. And, and you were using me again. So as I remember what you have done, now that I'm in this situation where the enemy has persecuted my soul... He has crushed my life to the ground. He has made me dwell in dark places like those who have long been dead. And my spirit is overwhelmed within me, and I just want to give up. But when I remember what you've done, you've got me out of some pretty severe jams before. So I stretch out my hands to you again. And my soul longs for you as a parched land. Oh, answer me quickly, O oh Lord. My spirit fails. And do not hide your face from me, or I'll become like one who goes down to the pit. And oh, I love it. Let me hear your loving kindness in the morning, for I trust in you. Part the clouds and let me just see a glimpse of the sun. And God does that. I just love it when God does that. Teach me the way in which I should walk, for to you I lift up my soul. Deliver, my, deliver me, O Lord, my, from my enemies. I take refuge in you. Teach me to do your will, for you are my God. See, forgetting what lies behind, let's press on. Let your good spirit lead me on level ground for the sake of your name, O Lord. Revive me. It's a great prayer. God, I, I'm, <laughs> I'm like under the boot, being crushed in the dirt. Revive me. You've done it before. I'm asking you, please, to do it again. And you like this? Answer me quickly, because my spirit's failing. For your sake, O oh Lord, revive me in your righteousness. Bring my soul out of trouble. In your loving kindness, cut off my enemies and destroy all those who afflict my soul, for I am your servant. So that's what God is saying. I don't ever want you to forget that. So back to Deuteronomy, he said, don't forget me. Don't forget my what I've said. Don't forget my doings. Lastly, don't forget my warnings. Don't forget what I told you would happen if you didn't. Or if you did, if you did forget me. 
verse 19, it shall come about, this is Deuteronomy 8, 19, shall come about that if you ever forget the Lord your God, go after other gods and serve them and worship them, I testify against you today that you will surely perish. Like the nations that the Lord made to perish before you, so you shall perish because you would not listen to the voice of the Lord your God and you forgot me, you forgot my commandments, you forgot what I did, you didn't pay any heed to my warning and you just went your own way and you're going to suffer the consequences. Tragically, it's exactly what happened to Israel. Find the book of Judges. After Deuteronomy comes Joshua. Moses dies at the end of Deuteronomy. Joshua takes over, takes them into the promised land, and they conquer it to a degree. They're settled in it. And, and Judges chapter 2 picks up the story. Verse 6. When Joshua had dismissed the people, the sons of Israel went each to his inheritance to possess the land. The Lord served, the people served the Lord all the days of Joshua. And all the days of the elders who survived Joshua, who had seen all the great work which the Lord of the Lord which he had done for Israel. Leadership matters. While Joshua and those that came out of all this and experienced this were alive, and they were the leaders, and they were and they were telling everybody the people followed them. But then Joshua, verse 8, the son of Nun, the servant of the Lord, died at the age of 110. They buried him in the territory of his inheritance in timnath Harris, in the hill country of Ephraim, north of Mount Gash. And all that generation also were gathered to their fathers. They died. And there arose the next generation, or another generation after them. Watch this. Who did not know the Lord, nor yet the work which he had done for Israel. It's not that they were ignorant. It's not that, that they didn't hear the stories over and over and over. It's that they did not have the Lord, the God uh, that Joshua did, and, and all those that followed him. They, they did not commit to God. They couldn't care less about God. Hey, we're the next generation. That's for you old folks. Yeah. So they didn't know. They, they, you know, it, don't look at that as if they were ignorant because they weren't. They just made a choice. They didn't have that relationship, as I think Ellicott said. Then the sons of Israel. So when that happens, when you forget God, when you forget his commandments, when you forget his doings, and you don't pay any attention to his warnings, then the sins of God did these evil in the sight of the Lord and served the Baals. And they forsook the Lord, the God of their fathers, who brought them out of the land of Egypt and followed other gods from among the gods of the people who were around them and bowed themselves down to them. Thus they provoked the Lord to anger. And they forsook the Lord and served Baal and the Ashtoreth, and the anger of the Lord burned against Israel. And he gave them into the hands of plunderers who plundered them. He sold them into the hands of their enemies around them so that they could no longer stand before their enemies. And wherever they went, the hand of the Lord was against them for evil as the Lord had spoken and as the Lord had sworn to them. And they were severely distressed. Why? Because they forgot God, forgot his commandments, 
They forgot his doings, and they forgot his warnings. Now that is a rather lengthy introduction to 1 Corinthians 11, so let's go there. Same thing is true for us. God knows that we have a propensity to forget. I think it's part of the curse. I don't think Adam and Eve forgot anything before they sinned. What's there to forget? But now it's part of our fallenness, it's part of our futility, it's part of the corruption. We tend to have short memories about things that we should never forget, and we tend to have long memories about things we should forget. In 1 Corinthians 11, the church at Corinth, which was a true church, they had believers there. The, the book starts by 1 Corinthians 1-2, the church which, which is in Corinth, those who have been sanctified in Christ Jesus, saints by calling. So these, these are believers. Verse 7, I know that, there, that you have, there's no, you are not lacking in any gift. You're, you're gifted by God, you've been saved by God, but you've got some issues. One of them was you're arguing about who's the greatest teacher in the church. Because of that, chapter 3, he says, you are fleshly because there is jealousy and strife among you. In chapter 5, they were uh, boasting about somebody in the church that was having a sexual relationship with his stepmother. And they thought, well, that's pretty cool. Look how tolerant we are. Paul just says, you've got to get rid of that. Chapter 6, they were suing each other. And it goes on and on and on. Then you get to chapter 11. And, and remember that Jesus had given them the communion service. In the Old Testament, it was the Passover. And Passover was so they would not forget, but remember God's deliverance from Egypt. How he passed over them when they put the blood over the door. He passed over that house and, and didn't judge it. And so they were always to remember every year they had this whole feast to remember that. And Jesus gave us the communion service. And so what the early church would do is, because they were together a lot, is like every communion service, or maybe every time they got together, it was what they'd call love feast. It was like a potluck dinner, except they were abusing this. As you read verses 17 through 11, he says, In giving this instruction, I do not praise you, because some of you... Uh, for because you come together not for the better but for the worse. For in the first place, verse 18, when you come together as a church, I hear that divisions exist among you, and in part I believe it. Verse 20, therefore when you meet together, is it not to eat the Lord's Supper? For in your eating, each one takes his own supper first. One is hungry and another is drunk. What? Don't you have houses in which to eat and drink? Or do you despise the church of God and shame those who have nothing? What shall I say to you? Shall I praise you? In this I will not praise you. They forgot what it's all about. They forgot that as we're taking the bread and the cup, and as we're having this, this potluck dinner to try to help feed everybody, evidently what was happening is the rich and the people that had all this stuff would get there early, eat all the good food, drink all the good wine, even became drunk. So when the, the rest of the church gathered and the poor came in who were supposed to get something from this, that's the whole point. There was little or nothing left. 
And Paul, you ever wonder why, you know, he gave the instructions about the Lord's Supper in 1 Corinthians 11? Because they forgot what it's all about. For I received from the Lord that which I delivered to you, that in the night in which Jesus was betrayed, he says, here's what you should be doing. When he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Now, he had told them in, in Matthew 26, Mark 14, and Luke 22, uh, the Last Supper, hours before the cross, he was trying to tell them what was going to happen. He was trying to prepare them for what was going to happen. And basically what he is saying is we just went through the Passover meal and it had all these different elements to remember different parts of the struggle of you coming out of Egypt. So I'm going to give you two for what's coming next. One is the bread to remind you of my body that in hours will be hung on a cross, pierced with nails, and hung on a cross in shame for you. As you killed all those lambs and you took the body in, the body didn't come out. Those who went on a cross, you didn't come off the cross. You died. They buried you, when you if you went on the cross. And then he says the same way he took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often you drink it in remembrance of me. You know, they were well familiar with the Old Testament sacrifices, being Jews. They had done that. They'd taken their lambs and their goats and their pigeons to the, to the temple and, and had them sacrificed for the covering of their sin until they sinned again. And then on and on it goes. So they understood that. He says, this is different. He says, when, uh, when the writer to the Hebrews is in the future, now he didn't say that, but is going to write the book of Hebrews, you will understand that my sacrifice now is the ultimate sacrifice. In fact, my sacrifice that's about to happen in a few hours is what all of that Old Testament stuff was pointing to. And now it's coming to pass. And I'm going to shed my blood for the forgiveness of sins. It's the new covenant I'm bringing in. And when you drink this cup, I want you to remember that. Do this in remembrance of me. Why did he have to say that? Because he knows we would forget. Get busy with this. Super Bowl's next weekend. Who's going to win? Da, 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 da. And you know, you just get carried away. He says, I don't want you to forget. So when you hold this cracker, we are to think. This represents, this is for us to remember Jesus' body on a cross for me. Same thing with the blood. Therefore, whoever, and then he goes on to say, for as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Therefore, whoever eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner shall be guilty of the body and the blood of the Lord. But let a man examine himself, and in so doing, he is to eat the bread and drink of the cup. For he who eats and drinks, eats, drink, eats and drinks judgment to himself if he does not judge the body rightly. For this reason, many among you are weak, sick, and a number are dead, because I have judged you, because you would not. But if we were if we, but when we are judged, we are disciplined by the Lord, so that we will not be condemned along with the world. See, what God is telling us is, I don't want you to forget who you are and how you got here. You didn't sign up. You you weren't even hitchhiking. I just went and took you out of the trash heap. 
and I've adopted you as my son. I've cleaned you up. I've given you my inheritance. You are a co or you're a joint heir. I don't ever want you to forget that. And for that to happen, I had to sacrifice my only son for you. Because he knows us. He knows well, and he knows Satan. He knows the world. He knows how easy it is to drift. And the longer you drift, and the further you drift, we need to judge ourselves, and this helps. We come back once a month. We should probably do it more often. We say, okay, Lord, how am I doing? Have I forgotten you? Say, how do you know? Check out the way you're living. Check out what do you think about? What do you watch? What do you read? What are you planning to do? Where, where is God on your priority list? It's easy to read, and it's easy to check that out. How am I doing with what God has told me? Pick up your Bible and say, okay, this will show you if you've forgotten God. If you are endeavoring to follow this, you have not forgotten your God. If you haven't even opened this, you've forgotten your God. And if you've forgotten your God, you've forgotten all the things he's done for you. And you may think, oh, look at that, I'm pretty good. Oh, my goodness. The more we look at God, the more we should say, God, thank you for saving me, that worm. You know, that's why, uh, I don't know if you noticed, when we sang at the cross, they changed the words. Even in the hymn book, we took this out of The way the, sound, the song was written, alas, and did my Savior bleed, and did my sovereign die, would he devote that sacred head for such a worm as I? Making a point, because that's who we were. But somebody thought, even religiously, that that's not politically correct, so they changed it to, would he devote the sacred head for sinners such as I? Okay, you're a sinner, but you know what? Worm really communicates. In fact, I was I'm not even worthy to be called a worm. What's below a worm? I don't know. That's who we were. Because if you don't understand that, you really don't understand the cross. You don't understand how much God loved you and what he did when he adopted you, stuck you in his Ferrari, if you want to think about it that, and off you go. Father, I thank you for your word. And uh, I thank you that you know that we forget and you do not. We tend to remember things you have forgotten, such as our past sin, because it's been cared for and we're moving on. We tend to want to go back to the alleyway in the gutter and remember the way it was. And he says, no, look, I've cleaned you up. Got new clothes, a new job, new everything. Let's, let's go, let's move on. Pressing forward to what lies ahead. Father, help us do that. Help us do that. If we have to memorize Philippians 3, help us do that. And then may we not forget you by forgetting your commandments and not doing them, and by forgetting all that you have done for us and forgetting the warnings of the communion service Jesus gave us so we would remember him. And it's the greatest thing God has done for us, is saved us, is forgiven us, is given us a, a, new, a clean slate. 2 Corinthians 5, if, we, if any man is in Christ, he is a new Old things have passed away. New things have come. So, Father, as we hold the cracker in our hand and as we hold the cup in our hand and partake, 
we have to judge ourselves. Have we forgotten you? Do we even know you? Have we ever got to the place where we have surrendered our life to Christ and said, Lord, be merciful to me, the worm, and save me? So that's where it starts. And then you say, I've done that, and I've experienced great things from God, but have I forgotten? Am I kind of got swept up in the current of the world, the flesh, pride of life, or whatever it is? Bring me back, Lord. Bring me back. May we not forget. Think about those things as the men service the elements, and then we'll partake together.
which Jesus was betrayed, he took bread because he knows it. He says, I don't want you to forget this. Because if you forget this, your life is not going to be what I died to give you, which is an abundant life as my son. So as Jesus gave the bread to the disciples, and he said, I want you to take and eat this. Do this in remembrance of me. May we remember him as we partake together this morning. Likewise, he took the cup. So you gentlemen are well familiar with blood sacrifice because being Jews, you've grown up with that. I don't know if you ever got used to that because it was just a mess. But God was making a point that sin is that sinful. Sin is that dreadful. Sin is that serious that it demands a life. God told us Genesis 2, you eat of that fruit, you will die. The wages of sin is death. It's what we all deserve. But for the love of God, that he saw us in our misery, and he sent Jesus to die on a cross to take our place. And then as he rose from the dead, he says, look, if you will but come to me and trust me and give me your life and believe in me, Forgive your sin. Your past is past. I'm going to adopt you. You're a whole new person. All because the body and the blood of Jesus. So as we partake together, let's do this in remembrance of him. Father, we pray that uh, there are a lot of things in life that we, we are to forget. May, may this not be one of them. King of my life, I crumble
So Lord, help us to forget what we need to forget and to press on and remember what we need to remember. We pray to that end in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.